Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Dear brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another Elm Feed podcast episode. I'm your host, Fatima Barakatullah, and today I have another guest who is an inspiring person who, inshallah, all of us can benefit from. It's Sister Sahar Al-Faifi. Sister Sahar is a molecular geneticist. I got that right. <laughs> and she is also a community activist. So, mashallah, assalamu alaikum, Sister Sahar. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you so much, Ustada Fatima, and to the team for inviting me today. I'm really, really honored. Jazakumullah khair. Well, yakum, jazakumullah khair for coming. I don't know if you remember the first time we ever met. Do you remember? Was it in the consultation? No. In one of the centers here in East London? I'll tell you what it was. It was a Channel 4 uh, discussion. Uh-huh. Uh, well, oh, deba- <laughs> <laughs> yes. I remember. With Douglas. It was, it was in this building. With Douglas Murray. I do It was remember. in this building. It was Douglas Murray. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And uh, another yeah. two ladies. Do you remember? It's true. And um, it yeah, was yeah, yeah. supposed to be like a quick fire discussion about the yeah. niqab. Oh my goodness, right? I do remember. I don't remember what had happened at the time, but yeah, uh, yeah. there was the niqab as usual was in the yeah, in, the, in news. the news. Um maybe something to do with another European country. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think a few of us had been, you know, like invited to yeah. come and talk. Yeah. And that video has kind of gone viral. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> it um, did actually, yeah, yeah. And it's basically three sisters wearing niqab yes two of them were me and you yeah and then we have douglas murray from the hen at the time from the henry jackson society yeah yeah and yeah. uh two others who were opposing it yeah um uh true yeah, yeah I remember what were that. your thoughts after that i first of all <laughs> i didn't know douglas murray will be there in the right. panel mm-hmm. and i remember very well that the audience were mainly Naqabi sisters, sisters yeah. mm. which was amazing to see, yeah. but I felt in a way it was deliberate from an mm. image perspective because right. at that time there was like a polarized discussion around the Naqab and this narrative of Muslims taking over and, and for some reason they gathered all the Naqabi sisters to be in the audience, but some of them were really vocal and I remember one of the sisters who put Douglas Murray in his place. They were quite passionate. Were very yeah. passionate and she was saying that this is my human rights to, to wear what I want to wear. But had I knew that Douglas will be there, I, I actually wouldn't go there again uh, because of his vile Islamophobic um, thinking and, and comments. Uh, but yeah, it was, the I guess, the first time I was in the media and, and uh, also it's nice to see that the media are actually actively trying to get the Muslim woman voice in these discussions because most of the time our voice is missed and we have white men speaking on our behalf telling to us that we're oppressed and we need to be saved by them, this kind of thing. But yeah, good memory. Yeah, you, I, don't, I, I didn't realise that you'd forgotten. <laughs> I know, but, yeah, totally. I, 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 remember, I remember because, yeah. mashallah, you really stood out as somebody yeah. who's so eloquent. Yeah. You really... Um, Spoke very well, mashallah. Um, <clears throat> my own thoughts about it were, I think, you know, I was kind of asked to do it by some 
some people. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just thought it would be a good thing to do, like just yeah. at least to represent, at least to put a few, mm. have a nice discussion. Unfortunately, what I found was that it was so insincere. The whole setup, I found it very insincere oh, yeah, in the yeah. sense that as soon as we walked in, uh, obviously I was very nervous. It was mm. one of the first times I'd ever you know, mm. being on a program like this. Mm. And I just felt that the, the presenter said to me, right, we're going to keep it really short and snappy, right? Mm. And th when she said that, I think alarm bells started ringing in my mind because I thought, mm. right, this isn't a sincere discussion. No. This is yeah. about entertainment, you know? Exactly. And, and to me, it was like we were, exactly. sadly, we were kind of visual entertainment mm. for the wider public mm. who obviously misunderstand mm. Muslim women, misunderstand the mm. niqab and hijab. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think reflecting back on it, mm. um, I think it was then that I decided that I wasn't personally mm. going to take part in those type of shows anymore. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I agree with you because that was, because it was, uh, it was presented to be a circus on air. Yeah. As you said, for yeah. entertainment. Because if you want to explain the reasons behind wearing the niqab, it's an act of worship, act of devotion. But then you're asked to say everything in a few seconds, sound yeah. bites, sentences. How is that fair? Um, right. And I agree with you. Uh, and in fact, I had a similar experience in one of the BBC Sunday's shows. The question, no, another question time. Uh, the big questions. The big question. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, the big question on Sunday. And I was there. Um, I don't remember exactly what ha happened, but all I remember that I did not have the time to express myself well right. and things were taken out of context because you had so many panels, so many people speaking behind you. There's no way you can speak in this kind of setup. Definitely. Um, so I agree with you. Like I, I made a decision after that that I will never be on the question time. I will never be in a show that is just a circus somewhere. Mm. But at the same time, I still have to engage with the media, yeah. but also encourage more women to engage with the media, have their voice heard, mm -hmm. being educated about the kind of counter narratives that, that you hear about, because that is far more powerful than having men speaking on your behalf, let alone white men speaking on your behalf. So through these experiences, I actually have learned uh, the, the tips, the tactic on right. on what are the questions that they're going to ask me about. I, I do practices beforehand with a friend over the phone. I ask about the panelists beforehand. I ask about the nature of the show. And if I'm happy with everything, yeah. then I go. Before that, I was like you. I was like, I've never experienced it. I don't know what to expect. But I guess I had to try it yeah. to know how and then improve and, and carry on um, engaging. I'm but glad. I'm, I'm really glad that you do that, you know. And I think it's, would you agree that it's like for each of us to kind of make a decision for ourselves? Because yeah. um, I guess like... Not all of us are suited for every type of show or yeah. every type of discussion. Yeah. Uh, so after that, for example, f for me, I did take part in like um, if the, if I was called on as an expert, yeah, as an Islamic scholar or as you know somebody who could yeah. speak authoritatively about an aspect of Islam, then I've accepted those type of uh, yeah. invitations, like especially radio. That's your field. And, 
Yeah, because yeah. for me, it's like I'm not there to talk. My life is not talking about niqab. My mm. life is not about sort of just constantly batting away yeah. fires, you know, like putting out fires, right? Exactly. Um, I think there is a role for people. You know, there need to be people who do that yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly, you know, I'm not yeah. saying that, that that's not important. It is. Yeah. Um, but I think after having those kind of experiences of mm. really going home feeling <clears throat> unheard, mm. feeling like it was not a sincere discussion. No, it wasn't. Um, and feeling like, you know, what was really achieved by certain types yeah. of um, yeah. shows. Um, I just felt that, you know, we've got to be and more, selective, also, more we, selective. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We have to be selective, but also we have to be trained. Definitely. Like professionally trained. Great, great point. You know, not anyone can go and, and speak on, on the media. Like mm. a single mistake that you make can actually uh, get out of proportion and attract more negative attention to you and what you're trying to get across. So I wouldn't advise anyone to go and engage with the media unless at least they practice with a friend who can yeah. play the devil advocate yeah. <laughs> uh, and then have a professional training. And mm. alhamdulillah, through MEND, which is the organization I'm, I'm working with, um, the organization has invested a lot in my professional training. Excellent. Um, and we spent hours, hours trying to counter um, any arguments, not only to do with the niqab, but let's say with the with the sh uh, Sharia courts or with Muslim schools or halal meat or uh, the meat, the irresponsible media reporting and all of that. So Excellent. Um, this is what we need, actually, more professional training. And So who runs and the training? Like who actually... Is, is MEND uh, that train? No, but I mean like the people... So you mean uh, bro oh, so brothers the people or delivering do they the bring training? somebody? Yeah. Uh, mm. So we have uh, professional organizations who train us on how to communicate yourself, uh, communicating your message, your body gestures, how to avoid questions that you're not comfortable answering it. Uh -huh. But then uh, with the other colleagues, we practice the narrative and the counter narrative constantly. And we practice the facts and so on, because the idea is that... Uh, we need to um, be part of making the collective, positive collective memory mm -hmm. about Muslims and Islam in Britain. Now, how can you make that collective memory if you don't say the same facts constantly in the media by different people mm. and that we're united in the in the message that we're getting across? Definitely. Then people will remember will remember your message more than anything else because of the consistency. Mashallah. And yeah. I, I think you really come across very well as well. You know, I saw I saw you on I think it was Pierce Morgan's show with yeah. uh, Boris Johnson's sister. <laughs> Ra what's her yeah. name? Rachel is it? Ra <laughs> Rachel Johnson. Yeah. And yeah. I thought overall, you know, that that, yeah. that came across very yeah, well. Yeah. Um I think uh, one of the things I didn't tell people, but uh, many people. Maybe this is the time say first time I'm saying it in public. Right. But I remember before going to that debate, ITV deliberately separated us, so really? they put me in one room oh, <laughs> away from Rachel Johnson. Right. Right. And I am the kind of person who I would love to engage with my opponent beforehand. Mm. You know, just to sense what kind of things that uh, they could say and prepare myself. And sadly, I didn't have this opportunity then. But as we go, as we were going to the studio, I saw Rachel coming and straight away took her on the side 
I shook hand and I said, look, oh. I'm Saha. I actually work in the NHS and I wish you the very best. That actually changed <laughs> the entire tone that really? she had wow, wow, during wow, wow. the debate. Uh, but also, like, I was also scared about um, Piers Morgan and, you know, he, he's yeah. not one of the kindest people, you know. Uh, but alhamdulillah is, is this... Um, in the the initial engagement that I had with her, even though it was short, I think it played a role in this, and ultimately is is Allah's uh, blessing, really. Mashallah. No, that's that's a really good point, actually, and that's a really good tip, actually, for yeah. for people if if they are going on to any of these types of shows yeah. that. At the end of the day, there is a type of demonization that's taking place, isn't it? The mm. dehumanization yeah, yeah, yeah. of women who are wearing the niqab. Correct. And so. By you meeting her, I guess it humanized you immediately. Exactly. And, but what's what's kind of dodgy and or not very nice is the idea that they would want they would kind of want you to not connect, you yeah, know, exactly beforehand. Yeah, and, that, and that's really unfortunate, isn't it? I mean, th- yeah. that's what I mean about this sort of insincere mm. aspect of yeah, yeah, media. Because okay, this is going to sound controversial, okay, uh-huh. but <laughs> you, know, is. <laughs> you know Douglas Murray, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I do know him very well. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Hear me out, hear me out, okay? Okay, God help me. <laughs> I've read his book, okay, his first book. Uh-huh. I read it at the library because I didn't want to buy it, okay? Good. <laughs> didn't want him to get any money Well done, it. that's a good tip. Okay, um, uh, so that's the one about, you know, this the strange death of Europe, right? Uh-huh. Um, where he pretty much blames immigration and Islam yeah. for... All the Western social and society falling apart, and yeah, yeah. you know all all sorts of things that are going on. And he talks about, you know, the Muslim population growing and mm. all that kind of thing, right? Um, in fact, a similar narrative to the type of narrative that say somebody, the the guy in New Zealand, yeah. right, when he was um, attacking the mosque, yes, uh, the same sort of narrative that he was writing about, right? That Muslims are, you know, yeah. Muslim population is growing. <laughs> exactly. So I, I do understand that what Douglas Murray says and what he um what he he has played a role that has kind of really um oh, been yes. negative big time but at the same time okay um i have been watching some of his interviews recently and i think i think he's identified a bigger problem than islam <laughs> in the west now mm. um and he's jumped onto that now you what know do you mean? What um his his recent book is all about um it's mainly about kind of identity politics yeah and uh, the kind of way that there's certain the left and right. crazy things that are being accepted in society that yeah. that weren't before or that mm. and people aren't speaking the truth and mm. and a lot of the things that he's saying actually do make sense okay do in they? his yeah in his oh, in his on. new in his new book if you look <laughs> okay. if you if you listen to his interviews in fact i heard him in one interview saying yeah. that he couldn't believe it but he actually was the feeling like you know the muslim parents uh-huh. who were resisting you know some of the rse yeah. teaching and legislation uh, he found him him and his friends found themselves agreeing with yeah. muslim parents and he found that sort of you know like yeah. obviously strange um mm. but what i'm coming to after yeah. all this is is basically that i think look at the end of the day even someone like him mm. is a human being right yeah and i feel that we should be empathetic. Empathy 
is a great value to have and you must have even with your worst enemy because you want to know the experiences that they went through that made them Mm -hmm. who they are today and and that's the reason that I interacted with Rachel Johnson initially is that I wanted to understand her perspective and her perspective in fact that she actually never interacted with Naqabi sisters so all the idea she had is from the print media specifically demonizing Mm -hmm. people like you and I right Mm -hmm. but with Douglas Murray is a different story because he is a professional Mm -hmm. Islamophobe you know he makes money from this kind of narrative from publishing this kind of books it is his living to do yeah. this kind of thing. So for me, I wouldn't empathize with a I person get that. like that. I get right? that. When I said but empathy, I don't mean feel sorry for him or feel sympathetic or anything yeah. like that. What I mean is, I think even somebody like him, and maybe I'm sounding really naive saying this, right? I wish that we could, as Muslims, have dialogue with even somebody like him, you know, have sincere dialogue because... When I hear some why of the, why would you why? invest time with people because like him? I would, you know, you have different you have different people. You have people who are in the middle who are yeah. not sure whether to believe the Islamophobic narrative or to believe what the Muslims are saying about themselves. Yeah, I would if I have a limited resources, time and energy, I would invest in this group of people in the middle to make them my friends, my allies, mm. that to for them to help me challenge the professional Islamophobes like Douglas Marie and the Henry Jackson Society far right and think tank and so on. Because you these people can only be challenged if you have organized people and organized money at their level. They're there. Mm. Yeah. You the way to challenge them is to have a f- another think tank you know, that challenges their reports and narratives and so on, right? Mm. So I wouldn't, as a person, invest my time engaging with Douglas Murray or Tommy Robinson or these people. I would invest my time engaging with the people who are not sure yet, right? Mm. Or they've been sadly socially conditioned by the print media, by the sun, by the Daily Mail. Yes, I'm more than happy to have a a cup of tea with you and let's share a a Welsh cake, yeah? I don't Mm. mind, right? But I wouldn't do the same thing with Douglas Murray. I am giving him more legitimacy if I were to engage with him because I am actually helping him to spread this Islamophobic narrative that doesn't help Mm. me, doesn't help the Muslim community. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from because I I guess that we have limited resources, right? And we have to get strategic. Exactly. And I think that's what you're saying. Like, let's be strategic. Let's focus on the people who who at least are willing to listen, right? Um, I think what I meant was not necessarily to do it publicly, Mm -hmm. you know, not to have like a public engagement. Because like you said, I think because these people are professional Mm. Islamophobes, almost like called on to be the professional, you know, talking, what do they call them? Talking heads, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on on the television, just to oppose Islam or oppose Muslims, oppose immigration or whatever it is. Mm. Um, I think often when you're when you're when the cameras are on, mm-hmm. suddenly people's personalities change. The human aspect goes, and it becomes like okay, yeah. I'm in my mechanical. I'm in yeah. my role. You know, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. in my you know. Correct. Uh, I'm gonna uh, play this role out. Um, so there's this insincerity there. Mm. But 
I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm just like a uh, softy, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> somewhere, well, somewhere I'm inside, you, I feel Stata, like if you're going to challenge these people, you have to have a thick skin. Yeah, softy, but but softy I, but I feel I wish work. I do wish that there was a <laughs> yeah. way that some of yeah. these, um, especially you know, certain types of people, obviously be selective. Yeah. If only we could, as Muslims, <laughs> have some dialogue behind the scenes, you know, mm. um, and not everyone, but again. There should be some people, yeah, because I, sometimes I, I I reflect on the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right, and his dawa, and you know, there, Subhanallah, all the types of characters that we've got in front of us, hmm. he had, right. So he had the professional anti-Islamic people, right, who who had made their whole kind of personality and their whole kind of public persona on that, based on that, and then he had this. <clears throat> the people who weren't sure, like you said, you know, mm. or the people who had some sympathy, the people who had a heart, right? Mut'am mm. bin Adi and those type of people, you know, who were still helping the Muslims, even though they wouldn't mm. become Muslim. And then you had the Abu Talib who's fully supporting, mm. um, even though he he didn't become Muslim. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you're right. There's all those types of people. But I, I mm. do feel that at some, in some way, the Prophet wasallam tried to engage with them. Uh, even though you're right that some of them, you know, because of their staunchness, because of their kind of real hatred, inbuilt hatred, um, you know, he didn't put all his focus on them. You're right. And he let them go, you know, obviously. But but but, but what I'm trying to say is I feel like sometimes as a community, we allow the media to p pull us down a certain road as well, you know, yeah. because the media is trying to polarize people right, all the time. So <clears throat> they want us to think, okay, this person is someone who we could never talk to. Mm. And that person is someone we could never talk to. Definitely. But actually, you know, subhanAllah, we're human beings. Mm. Most of us, um, you know, we've had interactions with people who we thought mm. would never, we'd never get on with. And mm. then, over time, you know, we, we, we got on with them. They understood us. We understood them. Mm. So I just fear that sometimes we fall into that kind of... No, I, I agree with you. And, mm. and the media loves it. You know, med the media loves playing the game of good Muslim and a bad Muslim. Mm. And even when there is any issue about Muslims to be discussed in the media, the media tend to uh, invite the most polarizing personality to talk about it. Yeah. yeah? Let me give you an example. They might invite uh, Majid Nawaz, uh, you know, as perceived the good liberal Muslim, with Anjum Chaudhary, right, from the Muhajirun group, right, to discuss the Muslim issue. Mm -hmm. Sidelining mainstream yeah, Muslims definitely. and organizations mm -hmm. who should be given the platform but certain type of media, media, they like the entertainment. They like the tension between the two. Yep. And that's why it's so important that you never get your way and understand the nature of each program. But I wouldn't say don't engage with the media. It is absolutely vital. If you're trained, if you have the knowledge, um, we can share experiences to engage with the media because this is where the narratives, where the stories are made about us. And if we don't engage with it, things will not change. So it's uh, Islamophobia Awareness uh, Month, yes. Tell us, what is Islamophobia Awareness Month about um, and how can Muslims engage with it? Um, thank you for asking this question. So um, we know October is Black History Month. 
every year we know that different organizations, different colleges, educational institutions organize countless events to raise awareness about black people, contribution, slavery, and all of that. So the idea with Islamophobia Awareness Month is similar to that, is that we want to raise awareness about the problem, that it exists and we acknowledge it, and also proposed solutions to that to that problem. Um, and the idea that we wanted different institutions to... Um, organize events, to organize exhibitions uh, that highlights, for example, the positive contribution of British Muslims to Britain. You know, you'll be surprised to know maybe that 26% of the NHS uh, staff are uh, British, Asians or Asians. And if we were to include Arabs, it can increase to 50%. Now, not mm. a lot of people know about this. The Shards, the Shards, the Shards building in London, right? The most beautiful building, right? Mm -hmm. Is owned by a Muslim businessman, right? Right. Uh, Muslim contribute almost 31 billion pound to the British economy. Now, when we know there's a constant demonization of Muslims, the way to tackle that is to highlight the positive uh, contribution in order to normalize Muslims in the public but also in the public uh, sphere. And in Islamophobia Awareness Month, we focus on the wider society. So, you know, in MEND, we we do a lot of work in building the internal capacity of Muslim communities, i.e. Uh, improving their political literacy and media literacy. These are the two things we work on, right? We want more Muslims to know about their political rights, but also engage with political parties in order to challenge Islamophobia. Also, we want more Muslims to do the same in the media. And this is building the internal capacity, which is part of our strategy. The other part is working with the wider community because over the last decades, it was always the left groups, the anti-racism groups, the socialists, the socialist mm -hmm. workers, the labor who fight on our behalf right, all the right, time, right? right, 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 right yeah. Like, you know, Muslims are, because they're progressive and they yeah. celebrate multiculturalism and all of that, which is nice to see, amazing, and we need more of that, right? Mm -hmm. But we need Muslims to lead that fight now. Yeah. We should mm -hmm. not be relying on the lefties to do definitely, it, right? Definitely. We appreciate their work and support, but the change will not happen unless we change within ourselves, right? Mm. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? In Allah right? God will never change the conditions of people until they change within themselves. Now, how do you expect for Islamophobia to disappear, for your kids to be safe wearing the hijab in school, for you and I to wear the niqab, right? If we don't ourselves lead the fight or lead the movement to challenge Islamophobia. So Islamophobia Awareness Month is all about creating this movement, yeah? And, and that's why I, I, I encourage people to take part of that. You don't have to be a volunteer of men. You don't have to be part of it to organize it, you know, in your institution or in your schools do anything to raise awareness about Islamophobia. But, but <clears throat> I, I, I genuinely want to ask you, like, what exactly does that mean? Like, raise awareness of Islamophobia. Are, yeah. we, are we asking people to realise that Muslims are suffering? Or what exactly does that mean? Because mm. I, I'll tell you where I'm coming from. Like, yeah. I understand that... Um, you know, even when Boris Johnson made his remarks about 
you know, as a mm. joke or whatever it was for, about on, about Muslim women and yeah. letterboxes, right? Um, I I wrote to the chairman of the Conservative Party, right? I'm one of those people who do who does right and does do you know um, mm. do I do what I can or where I feel something needs to be said or done. However, <clears throat> sometimes I worry that just as certain other communities, okay, have kind of become known for constantly complaining and mm. and and kind of crying about mm. victimhood and you know sometimes i fear that we might fall into that um mm. and so um i was involved with some work some dawa organizations in the past and one of the things that we used to say and i want to hear what you think about this and and where this islamophobia awareness fits in with mm. this one of the things we used to say is the greatest thing you can do to fight Islamophobia is, is awareness about Islam. Is to do da'wah. <laughs> yeah. To engage with the community. Yeah. Is to do da'wah, to engage mm. with people, to to do the things that the Prophet wasallam was doing in, in, in society, right? Mm -hmm. So we have Muslims setting up soup kitchens. We have Muslims, you know, look at what happened after Grenfell. You know, mm. really the Muslim community had a mm. huge role in, in that, opening the mosques up. Mm. Um, and all of those kinds of things. And also mm. the everyday interactions, you know, mm. uh, Muslims in different fields, mm. uh, being proud to be Muslim mm -hmm. and being willing to engage and talk mm. to people about mm. Islam, right? Mm. Um, all of those kinds of, I would call them proactive things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we used to kind of encourage that as uh, probably one of the key ways. Mm. So where does, how do we prevent ourselves from falling into a victimhood narrative? Yeah. Um, and where does mm. this campaign fit into that? Yeah. So uh, I agree with you. We should not fall into the victimhood, right? And this is one of the things that we focus on is actually calling for equal citizenship, okay? Because what does raising awareness about Islamophobia mean? Mm. It means to identify the root causes of it, right? And disseminating the information to grassroots communities so they can have educated conversation with people around them about Islamophobia, right? If you ask anyone in the street, why do you think Islamophobia exists? They would say, oh, because of the sun and the Daily Mail, right? Which is right, yeah? And a lot of people would say the same, right? But, Ostada, not a lot of people know that there is actually a legal loophole in an act called Racial and Religious Hatred Act 2006. This legal loophole does not protect Muslim community equally as other communities of faith, like Sikh community and the Jewish community who are considered an ethno-religious group in the UK right. law. Mm. The Muslim are considered a religious group, not an ethno-religious group. And therefore, they're not actually protected as other minorities. And there's a legal loophole that enable people to say anti-Muslim comments and sentiments against Muslims. They would not say the same comments against the Jewish community, Sikh community or black community. Hence, you say Katie Hopkins, right, calling Asian men a rapist. And she gets away with it, yeah? Mm -hmm. You have a UKIP counsellor, his name Eric Kitson, who posted once in his Facebook, hang them all and ask questions later. And when he was taken to the police, he said, it wasn't my intention, I wanted a debate, yeah? Freedom of speech, right? This is what, this is what 
Oh, this is why Islamophobes, they... you know, capitalize on. Now, when mm. you tell people there's a legal loophole that does not protect me, most of them get surprised. Yeah. I have interacted with so many politicians across the political spectrum and they tell me, Sahar, I gosh, I didn't know that. You know, mm. I want to work to seal that legal loophole, right? So this is what I mean by raising awareness about Islamophobia. We have the media as one of the reasons, but also we don't have effective legislation and thirdly, we don't have as many Muslims participating in politics and media. Now, how can I get Muslims to participate in politics and media is by educating them um, around politics, around media. You know, what is the difference between members of the parliament, um, MPs and the lords? Yeah. What is the difference between MPs and assembly members if you are in, mm -hmm. in Wales? You know, these technicalities, right? Who do you engage with? Like you mentioned, for example, RSC as, as, a, as a way or, or as an example in, in our conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, in Wales, for example, it has a unique political system. Yeah, not a lot of people know about this. This system says that education in Wales is devolved. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Because of devolution. Because of devolution. Right. So what mm. you see, some Welsh Muslim mm -hmm. follow the same methodology of engaging with political party as the English Muslims, which is proven not to be effective in a Wales in Welsh context. Right. Mm -hmm. is, is understanding these differences the between political systems mm -hmm. in order to engage. Like, I'm sure, for example, you saw so many pet uh, petitions to get 100,000 signatures and all of that yeah, yeah, yeah. being shared in the WhatsApp. And they mm -hmm. tell you, unless we reach 100,000, uh, it's not going uh, to be discussed in the right. parliament. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. In the Welsh Assembly, we only need 50. 50,000? 50. Five zero, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a lot of people surprised, right? You only need you can do that <laughs> exactly Easily. five oh, zero, sorry. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. To discuss anything in the Welsh Assembly. If I'm concerned about the RSC or anything else, how many people else, live in Wales? <laughs> <laughs> you moved to Wales, Estada. <laughs> I know there's like not that many people living in Ireland, but <laughs> no, but this is just to tell you an example <clears throat> of how you should politically engage right. and understanding the you need to system. understand the differences between exactly. the different regions and how you engage and, I think and there this is. is how you raise awareness about Islamophobia right, right, right. so it's not victimhood actually yeah. we're telling you take an action Jazakallah engage with explaining media that, engage really. with politicians mm. and know what you're going to take talk about tell them there is a legal loophole what are you going to do about it mm -hmm. tell them that we need a definition of Islamophobia we don't have any rightly so there's a definition of anti-Semitism but there isn't one for Islamophobia what are you going to do about it I'm not saying oh I'm uh, you know and I'm a skina, you know yeah. I've been a victim of countless abuse which is true right but we shouldn't allow the victim mentality to overwhelm us or um, influence us as much as you should be the leader of that specific change. Mm. So I guess what you're saying is that just like da'wah is one area yeah. that people need to engage in. Of course. P politics and uh, the media and these kinds of things are also... Da'wah works very to... well with neighbours. Yeah right? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> With your uh, small, close proximity. It does work really well, but it really doesn't work very well with politicians. You know, mm. if you invite a politician over a cup of tea and explain to him Islam and what we <laughs> believe, it will not change much. Yeah, A lot of them, they need 
uh, more awareness about why Islamophobia exists and how, as a politician, can I debate it in the parliament and so mm. on. So, you know, sometimes I think people see somebody like Sayyid Varsi, for example, you know, who's who, who resigned from the Conservative Party because of, you know, the way they were engaging with Israel, etc. And then, um, you know, the way she's been at really leading the whole discussion about Islamophobia in, in the Conservative Party. And then the way she's sort of treated mm. afterwards, I think mm. sometimes that can be quite... Uh, demotivating for people because she yes. was quite a senior person wasn't she she was um the co-chair of the conservative party she was the co-chair of the conservative party yes yeah, yeah. um but it, i guess we all is, have a role to play it's is it about numbers of voices and yeah. it is demotivating sometimes mm. it is tough because as soon as you, you you encourage people to participate in public life and politics and media and as soon as you do so and you become yes. visibly as someone who's as well-spoken and uh, um, well-organized and all of that, you get attacked left and right and center. And it can be emotionally and Raining. mentally unbelievably exhausting. Um, and it's not easy. So I really admire what Saida Wasi does because... You know, I remember vividly when I, you know, received a letter from a media um, production company accusing me of all sorts of things. And the letter came through the door and I opened it and I just could not believe what's in there. Like, I'm an anti-Semitic and I'm an extremist and, and all of that and accusing me of things happened in the UK and I wasn't even in the UK that time, right? Is is that is that bad? And it was the first time I was attacked and it affected me so much that I actually had to go to the emergency and stayed in the hospital for a couple of days because oh the God. mental stress was unbelievable because people see you as a different person and you know you're not extremist, you know you're not an anti-Semitic. And this media production is going to highlight all of this in, in a program. Um, and it was really, really tough. And, and I crumbled. I'm not going to lie. I crumbled for the first, I don't know, three months after that. And had it not been for, for the support of my colleagues who, you know, keep telling me this is a badge of honor, you know, you're making a difference. And that's, that's, that's why I carry on and things like that. And for me, that experience actually... Um, as painful as it was, it enabled me to constantly renew my intention really? and ask myself, why am I doing it? Is it actually worth it? Is it really worth it to get countless tweets abusing me like this? Is it worth it to be abused in the streets because I did this show or debate? And the, the answer is no, it's not worth it unless it's for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the truth, because it's draining, it is exhausting, and had it not been for God, it's 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 very very difficult to take in. And you know we have we have this verse in the Quran, mm -hmm. that would people think that they will say that they believe by their tongue by their action without being tested? Mm -hmm. I believe this is the test for all of us, not only me. So yeah, it's it's not easy. 
but uh, inshallah together we can can support one another yeah subhanallah because um i have had some experience of that myself but much more limited i think and um yeah it is it's very upsetting actually it's i think it's because you feel misrepresented you mm. feel i'll tell you how i felt when um the first time I ever heard anyone sort of insinuate that, you know, mm. anything about me in that sense, um, you know, after a media appearance or something. Um, I felt like my country was disowning me. Mm. Mm. <laughs> that sounds like a really extreme reaction, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I actually love Britain. You know, yeah. I, I grew up here. Yeah. Uh, I was born here. I've always felt very British. Um, yeah. I, I loved my schools. I loved my teachers. Yeah. They were British people, you know, who mm. who always kind of encouraged me and all that kind of thing. Um, and I guess sometimes the feeling you get when somebody, uh, whether, whether it's a media organization or someone or, or an organization that sounds important, it might not really be that important, you know, mm -hmm. but the way they, they sound. Um, and they accuse you of things that you know that your fellow citizens would look on you as mm. in a negative way for True. right mm. and that completely doesn't represent your views mm. um subhanallah it, it really does hurt i can mm. imagine and because um, you feel you don't belong anymore you feel mm. that you have to defend yourself and you shouldn't be that's the truth you shouldn't be but i think maybe uh brothers and sisters who are involved in the media need to have a better network you know mm. of support mm. because uh, Subhanallah, it is, it is difficult when when that sort of thing happens. You must feel really on your own, and yeah. uh, and oh, sometimes I think brothers, because it. because there are more brothers who oh, are ex who experience it. it. Yeah. Sometimes I get a feeling that they get they meet each other more, and yeah. they get that sort of you know pat each other on the back, and you yeah. know give each other that support. And like you said, wear it as a badge of one honor, right? Mm. Um, for for sisters. Mm. Subhanallah, I think, I think, I don't think we have that kind of network. We don't have that kind of mm. support network, you know. No, <laughs> no. And honestly, the world sometimes feels really, really a lonely place. Um, and to be honest, like, um, what keeps me going is just the focus on on the mission, um, and what I'm trying to to achieve. And if I can help a sister to wear the hijab confidently, then I have done my job, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but otherwise, it really does feel lonely and there isn't much of support or network out there because even when you ask for support, people don't know how to support you anyway. So you ask the question, is it is it even worth it to ask them for support? So yeah, it is. It is how can tough, people but, support? Uh, how, how can they support? Like for me... Now, uh, because I was attacked in 2017 um, and I crumbled, um, that actually strengthened me so much. Uh, I'm far more determined. and Maybe because that's my personality, I'm sometimes stubborn. Like, if I want to get things done, I will get it done no matter what, yeah? I will die or do it. That's it. Um, but it's it's not enough like it's it's not enough to be just in, in your own and, and focusing on on your resilience 
how how can people support i i genuinely don't know but i one of the things that helped me um there's a friend of mine who organized um a healing session you call it and he invited activists and organizers community organizers and academics who went through the same thing and we were just sharing letters healing letters between us and mm-hmm. and it was nice because then i felt oh i'm actually not alone not alone yeah i think that's are, that's the key isn't yeah, it yeah there are people who go you can really same. feel as though yeah. you've been like the world is uh, attacking you yeah. alone and yeah. um when actually yeah there are people out there who've had a similar experience but they don't we don't yeah. talk about it yeah. so i must so, say um, also that I get most of the support from my non-Muslim friends uh, or friends of faith and, and non-faith. Um, I have actually a Jewish friend uh, who I share office with and she's absolutely phenomenal. Like she oh. understands it all. Um, she went through some, she went through experience of her character being assassinated by an individual while my my experience is that my character is being assassinated by a, f- a think tank. So right. there is differences. Yeah. But because, you know, she was able to help me and support me in the office and things like that, um, it was it was really nice to know that there are friends who don't share my faith who are supporting me in my cause. Yeah, And for me, that gives me a lot of... Um, uh, it, it restores my faith in the humanity and, and it's really mm-hmm. nice to see. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. yeah, I think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends us those people Yeah. Um, just to kind of remind us that mm. actually most people out there are good people. You know, mm. they, they, they want to live peacefully. They, It's it's unfortunate that the media and um, different people from different political persuasions try to create that, you know, sort of artificial uh, anger and yeah. artificial mm. uh, demonization, mm. you know, of of people who are very peaceful. And mm. subhanAllah, you know, that's why I, I really think that um, the more people do mix with Muslims, um, the better their opinion of Muslims is. Because sometimes, I, you know, I, I watch a program or I listen to the radio and somebody's trying to demonize Muslims and there'll always be that person who phones in or, or says, <laughs> yeah. hey, what are you talking about? You know, like, my neighbor's not I've like got, this. <laughs> my nurse is a Muslim or my yeah. doctor is a Muslim. I, you know, I meet these it's Niqabi true. sisters here, there and everywhere yeah. and they're, they're just like you and me. You know, they, yeah. they in, in, in the humans, you know, they're just like us. We, mm. They have the same issues in terms of <laughs> they're worried about their kids. It gives kids. you so much about... hope, yeah. So I think, you know, those voices end up being the counter voice, you know, to yeah. to those who might try to whip up um, hatred. Subhanallah. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. Um, so uh, in terms of Islamophobia, like for most people, I think if they've ever experienced it, it's usually, you know, like on an everyday basis, like on the street, um, not necessarily in the media, mm. you know, as with some of the examples that we've given. Um have you ever had experiences like that? Is is it common for you to experience that? Experience what exactly? Uh, like Islamophobia on an on a street level. On the street, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, um, 
So first of all, like some some practical tips, uh, especially for 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 the sisters. Now, mm. one of the most important things is that if you been a subject to Islamophobic hate crime, do not ever think it's trivial, and mm. do not just uh, let it go. You must report it to the police. Um, and I know a lot of the sisters tell me, Sahar, I know the police won't do anything. And to be honest, I agree with you. Like, I honestly, <laughs> I reported all the incidents, all the attacks that I've been subject to. And I'm telling you about, like, at least twice a month that I get these attacks and I reported really? all of them. Oh, and in none of these incidents, the perpetrators were found or prosecuted, except one funny incident that... I want to share because it gives you a bit of hope mm-hmm. um, is uh, I think is is in Kefili. Yeah? Kefili is like a, a village outside Cardiff, very white, not many Muslim there. And we decided to do an event there specifically. And I was in the panel and someone barged in, oh. came into the room and he started shouting at myself and other speakers and the panelists. And you're an you're a terrorist, you and he was calling uh, terrorist names that I've never heard of, right? And you're supporting the terrorist groups and all of that. Luckily, one of the volunteers uh, got her phone out and recorded the incident instantly. Mm-hmm. And this is one thing you should do when you're under attack: get your phone. Now, most of us have a smartphone, right? Practical tip: just film it, yeah, record it. She recorded the whole incident. And uh, she gave it to the police. Um, the police found him easily. Not not, <laughs> not because of that video, mainly, to be honest, but because he was idiot enough to leave his name and address at the reception. <laughs> <laughs> Before he bashed in, these, right? These far right people can it's be like, quite dim, can't seriously. they? Seriously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just give you a tip. <laughs> Tip for Islamophobes, right? <laughs> if you're going to barge into a Muslim meeting, don't leave your name. <laughs> and address at the, the door, reception. At the reception. Okay? Seriously. We will, we will find you. <laughs> Subhanallah. Oh, Allah, it's that he did it. <laughs> so you can imagine. <laughs> like within a few minutes, right? He was found straight away. <laughs> And he was taken to the court, alhamdulillah. But, the, the, you know, it's funny, but the sad reality, that was the only incident where the police found him. <laughs> but it tells you still is important to report it, yeah, to record it. And it is important. I actually went to the court and provided the testimony. Really? Wow. And he was sentenced um, and was ordered to give a fine of £1,500. So it was good results, ultimately. Mm. All I'm saying to the sisters, please do not let it go. I agree, I agree. Make sure you're safe first and Mm. then report it. Can I give Um, you an example of uh, something that happened to me? (laughs) I've only reported something once. uh, In the the last 10 years, I would say, I've only really had one experience of it. Wow. Uh, I think maybe it could have to do with like I don't wear niqab all of the time when Uh I'm outside. Okay. Uh, But I wasn't wearing niqab on this day. And uh, I was just near a shopping center and this man was walking past with his wife, an old yeah. man. 
And uh, he just was ranting. He seemed to be annoyed with his wife and they were sort of talking. And then he looked at me. He saw me, you know. I was with my little daughter as well. And this is a really nice area of London, you know. It's not even... Uh, but it was just outside a shopping centre. And he turned around and he said, um, you know the problem with Hitler? <laughs> I was like... <laughs> what is it? I, I was like, Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> Hello? <laughs> I'm like in the middle of like Brent Cross shopping centre. <laughs> yeah. uh, where's Hitler come from, right? He said, the problem with Hitler was he got the wrong lot. <gasps> oh my goodness. Oh, he said it so <laughs> Did loudly. Did you say that? <laughs> and me and my daughter, I was looking at my daughter and I was thinking... Wow. And I looked at him and I said, excuse me, what did you just say? He said, what did you just say? He said, you heard me. He said, you heard me. And then wow. he started going off quickly, yeah, you know, because yeah. nobody else could hear. It was in, within, like, earshot. Yeah. And I must say, I was really shaken by that. Of course. And I went and sat in my car for a while, you know, yeah. and I had to, like, think about it and take stock. And, and I did report it immediately. Mm. And the police came the next day and... And, you know, for any sisters out there who haven't, who haven't reported, the police are, were really nice. You know, mm. they really do. I really felt that they really did try Support, to empathize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they said, look, it, don't think it's trivial. Because I was saying to them, you know, I, I can't really say he hurt me physically or anything mm. like that. You know, it was a verbal, verbal mm. abuse. Right. Mm, mm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they took it very seriously. They didn't. And they even checked the CCTV cameras and things like that. And like you said, nothing really came of it, right? Mm. But just that act of mm. reporting it and that it was noted as something that took place mm -hmm. um, and getting that kind of reassurance from someone in authority, I think. Yeah. There was something psychological, psychologically healing in yeah, that, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I must say, you know, any time I've had any contact with the police, like even like something innocuous like... Once I was having a nosebleed, right? Mm. Just I just had a nosebleed in the middle of the airport. Yeah. And there was happened to be a policeman. Yeah. And there was nobody else around. And he came and he said, uh, can I help you? And he he, he literally like walked yeah. me to a uh, to a bathroom and he stayed outside. Aww. And he waited until I thought he, I thought he would have gone because like, you know, he waited until I came out yeah. and he'd made sure I was okay. Yeah. And you know, he just went beyond his so duty, so my yeah. my experience, mm. my very limited experience with the police yeah. has always been very positive. Um, no, they respond quickly and they come and they take statement and all of that. Yeah. Sometimes, though, it can be patronizing. Really? Because I remember, and this is something that I learned later on, okay. uh, when some police officers came to my house to take a statement in a full uniform, right? So the next day, my neighbor was asking what kind of terrorist attack did you do? Why the police came, right? Because oh, you I saw see. the police car outside, the police came in, in, in a uniform, and it was, for me, I sh yes, he had an Islamophobe, um, Islamophobic tendency, and that's why he reached his prejudices, but I felt, gosh, I wish the police didn't come in uniform, and I wish they didn't park outside the house. And from that experience, I learned that, and that's why I'm telling the sisters, there's another practical tip, that you have every right to ask the police to come in non-uniform, to park their cars outside. Really? Okay, uh, yeah. yeah. You had, this is that's your right. Good. You don't have to go to the police station to provide your statement. They can come to your house in a civil clothing. Oh, and they can excellent. take your yeah. statement. It's good to know. Uh, make sure that you provide the emotional 
account to that incident. It is so important to say how you felt that day, that you're threatened, you're scared, mm. that you no longer feel safe. Obviously, they, it has to be true and authentic, but the emotional capture of all these feelings could actually impact the sentence if the perpetrator was found. So it's so important to remember the details of the perpetrator, but also record your emotional um, uh, feelings, because ultimately we want to show that Islamophobia is a problem. Here are the numbers. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. Statistically so even if proven. those people aren't caught, exactly. the fact that these numbers are being tallied up, yeah. the impact of the rhetoric in the media, yeah. the rhetoric of politicians, we can show people, look, this is, this is the impact it's having, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, dear brothers and sisters, uh, I hope you all really benefited from that. Uh, Sister Sahara, thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate your advice. And, you know, no, uh, you. I think we need to build that network yeah, you know, of, of sisters, inshallah. And, and I, <laughs> I had a to, good laugh with you. <laughs> part, part of that, definitely. Jazakallah <laughs> yeah. khairan. So, brothers and sisters, uh, please do share this episode with your friends and family. And with that, I will bid you farewell. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته